1 Corinthians 13. You ever heard the statement, all good things must come to an end, right? As I was down on my knees praying, though I'm still a young man, as I stood up, I realized meniscus must come to an end. Shooting pain shot through my leg. And I'm like, you know what? That didn't feel like that when I was younger. And I can only expect this foreshadow of things to come in my joints. And some of you are like, amen. You know exactly what that is. All good things must come to an end. Not necessarily. As we're going to learn today, there is something that never comes to an end. I know you think law and order will never come to an end. It'll be 70 seasons and it'll still be going, but it'll eventually come to an end. Some of you don't want it to. Some of us are like, enough. Let's move on to something else. All good things must come to an end. Not true when it comes to love. Not, not true when it comes to agape love. Love never ends. We're in our series of empowered, 1 Corinthians 12, empowered by what? By the Holy Spirit, chapter 12. Through what? Through love, chapter 13. And then we're starting to get into our next part of it, for what? For others, for the benefit and the building of one another, God's church. For what reason, you could go say, until we all, as, Ephes- as Paul says in Ephesians, attain to the unity of the faith, to the full stature and measure of Jesus Christ. All of us on this progressive journey, starting at different points in our life, working through the rest of our life in faith, struggling many times, fighting still against sin and the flesh, working our way to a point. What point? When we see Jesus face to face and he changes us completely and there'll be no more progression will have the position of perfection with him. And we're gonna see and talk about that here today, but we're on a journey until then. And until then, God has left his church with certain gifts and certain things that are meant to help assist that journey, to build the church up, the whole goal, every single individual turning into the image of Christ here on earth. By the Spirit, through love, for others. First Corinthians 13, we've learned already that love, you can almost say this, first three verses, love is paramount. Nothing is more important than love. So much so that you could get the most noble, powerful things in the sake of the church or in the, in the realm, the fellowship of the church. You could have it and use it every single day, but if you have not love, you're nothing. You gain nothing. You benefit no one, anything. Love is paramount. Then we learned what love is last week. Love is perfect. All of these descriptions of who Jesus is and the type of love that he has, the agape love that's not selfish in any way. And everything that it does is motivated for the benefit of others unconditionally and never gives up, which brings us to where we are in 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse eight. Love never ends. Let's read the passage together, starting in verse eight. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face, now I know in part, 
Then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to answer some questions. I'm actually going to put the questions on the screen. I want you to see them, and then we're going to answer them this pass- through this passage. Here's the questions. Why is love the more excellent and greater way? We're going to see that. If love never ends or fails or comes to a point where it's no longer needed, what does by implication? When will these things that he's talking about end? What is this perfect thing that's coming he mentioned in the passage? What about tongues? And then finally this, why is it necessary for us to know these things? Are you ready? Let's jump into it. Now, let me give a little, not a disclaimer, but uh, let me say this. We're jumping into a very debated passage, a passage that brings Christians from all over the world and puts them on, on a spectrum from extremes of disagreement and arguing and debating. Regardless of where you stand and regardless of how you interpret scripture, there is a truth and we're all trying to work our way to understand and honor God's word. Be biblicists, be Bereans. I'm going to present to you today the way that we as leaders, as your elders, how we interpret and what we say, this is what the scripture is saying. We want you to see and be Bereans, to be noble, to be biblicists, and to read and study. But you, wherever you fall on the spectrum, we still all have the obligation to be unified together, which means unity, the type of Jesus unity is the unity that exists regardless of background, regardless of culture, and regardless of differences that don't pertain to the higher, more priority things of Christianity. All right, so you ready? Here's the first question. Why is love more excellent and greater? Well, go back with me to chapter 12. I want you to remember the progression, the context of what uh, Paul is doing. Brothers, I don't want you to be misinformed about spiritual things. I want you to understand the spirit. Gifts, activities, services, administrations, all of these things are manifestations of the spirit. That's his responsibility. He shows up in who he wants to, when he wants to, how he wants to. This is the spirit. And guess what? If he shows up in you, if it truly is the spirit, those things will be operating for the common good of others. Not for you. Not for attention getting. Not for self-pleasing. But for the common good of others. And even more so, now the progression is, at the end of 12, he says this. He says, do all possess these gifts, but, verse 31, earnestly desire the higher gifts. You're going to hear us explain here in the next few weeks, or as we continue in Corinthians, we've got to take a break for Easter, but as we continue, explain the difference between the word desire and and the word pursue that he's going to use in chapter 14. Now look to 14. So he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. He says, I'm gonna show you still a more excellent way. He talks about love. In the beginning of 14, look what he says. Pursue love and earnestly desire the gifts. These higher gifts. Desire is not the same thing as pursue. We're gonna talk about that. He's trying to show this priority in the heart 
of people and the priority and the heart of the church of where our attention and focus and pursuit. Our pursuit collectively is love, which means you don't, you don't need to take a spiritual gift inventory or assessment. It's not about figuring out what your gift is because then you're on that path to kind of like that self-indulgent, I want to understand my personality and I want to, this is my gift and I want to use it and now it comes about you using your gift. No, the pursuit, every single one of us, is love. Love, which means if you didn't know what your gift was, but you just love God and Jesus and you determine your heart, I'm going to pursue this type of love, then what Paul says in this chapter 12 is the spirit will show up in you. All you need to focus on is love and let God use you how he wants to. Love is the priority. Next would be the gifts that you should desire. Put your attention on it. Want to see elevated and all the collective attention placed on in the body. And as we're gonna see, it has to do with the gifts that pertain to speaking, but speaking clearly the word of God. Love is the greater, more excellent way because of the first three words in verse eight. Love never ends. Or maybe your Bible says love never fails. Well, which one is it? It's both. The the Greek word here has this idea of love never is useless, true love, never useless. It never stops working, but it's never going to fade away or end or come to a place in our life where we're not experiencing it or don't need it. Love never ends. Love never fails. As I was kind of studying it, they would use this word talking about a seafarer that's cast upon the shore. It, it falls off the boat onto the shore. You're no longer needed. Walk of a plank. Or the petal of a flower that's eventually dying. The last petal falls like in Beauty of the Beast. I, I was about to hum the song, but I stopped myself. Partly because the Little Mermaid song was in my head and I didn't want to mix it up. (laughs) Oh, that's Little Mermaid. Love never has the last petal that falls off. It never gets cast ashore. Love is more excellent and greater because it is the one thing that never ends. Now look at verse 13 of chapter eight, how he concludes this thought. He says, so now faith, hope, And love, the word now, abide. These things remain. That's what that word abide means. It means remain. But love is the greatest. The greatest of these is love. Why? It's because everything else will come to an end and love will continue. Faith and hope and love, those are like the foundation of Christianity, right? But faith and hope themselves will come to a place where they're no longer needed. Because Peter tells us that it is the power of God that is guarding your inheritance and your salvation, ready to be revealed, and it's being guarded through your faith, which means you have to hope that it is coming and I will see it and I'm holding on to that. Like Paul said toward the end of his life, I have fought the fight, I have kept the faith. Now, therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. But not for me only, but also for all those who love his appearing, right? There's hope. I have faith and I have hope and I have love. But even faith and hope come to the end 
when you meet Jesus face to face because your hope is now fully attained. Your faith is no longer needed because it's sight and you can see, but love will continue. Love never fails. Think about it in your own life. What if the petal of love eventually fell or was cast ashore in your own life? This is what the enemy wants you to believe, that you're gonna come to a place in life where God's done with you. He's done with you. No more. I've spent too much time trying to help you and you just can't get it. Now for those who willingly reject Jesus and want nothing to do with him, they reject him and they get done with him. But if you believe in Jesus and you're fighting the fight of life and faith and of sin, the enemy's going to tell you he's done. Love never fails. Love bears all things, which means he's bearing with you. Believes all things, he's never going to believe that you can't be worked in and him work through you. Hope all things, endures all things. Love is so important because it's the type of love that God has for you. Love never fails. It's the one thing in your life that's gonna be there for you, helping you. God's love abiding on you. God's love is amazing. It is powerful. It is precious. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is love of a world that's rejected him. This is a love that wants to benefit a world that says, I don't want you. This is love for a world that has done wicked things and lives in darkness and lives in a way that is offensive to a holy God and instead God stays his wrath and he makes provision for a people that aren't even asking for it. Romans 5 But God demonstrates his love for this in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a radical type of love. Why is love more excellent and greater? It's because love never ends. So now here's what I want you to understand this passage. He says that to help you understand the priority of things, especially within the church in your own life. And he's talking, what has he been talking about? He's been talking about the spiritual gifts and the spiritual services and the Corinthians were really good at taking the gifts that were the speaking gifts that gave attention to them and twist them and make them about them so Paul is trying to put everything in its proper order the Holy Spirit works through a motivation of genuine God agape love and then he'll manifest the gifts in you for the benefit of the church So if love never ends, here's the question then. What does end? We've already hinted at it. Everything besides love in this context is gonna come to an end. Look what he says next. Love never ends. And he says, as for prophecies, your version may say, if there be prophecies, or it may say, whether there be prophecies, right? Concerning this gift of prophecy, whether we're talking about prophecies, or you see it, guess what's gonna happen to them? They're going to, and they use a very specific word, pass away. Maybe your version says fade away. Then he says, as for tongues. He uses a different word. He says, they will cease. Then he comes to this next thing, knowledge. As for knowledge, it will, like knowledge, pass away. And look what he says in verse nine. He says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
Why is Paul mentioning these three gifts in the context of love? Well, these would have been the gifts that they would have been arguing over because these were the gifts that had to do with speaking. These were the gifts that put everyone's attention on you. God knows what's going through the heart. He knows why the person would be speaking for any reason, what the motivator is, and if it's benefiting those around who are listening. Paul and God himself is interested in his church growing, and we cannot grow when these things are being used for selfish ambition and motives. Prophecy. You think of the prophets. What did the prophets do? They came and they spoke on behalf of God. God gave them knowledge that they could not know unless God had given it to them. And then they came and he spoke to the people on behalf of God. The word of God was proclaimed. People understood it. And then they had to make a choice whether they're going to follow it or not. This is the modus operandi of the church. This is the gospel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. People are not sufficient to be saved to be alone and not hear the revelation of Jesus Christ that they cannot figure out on their own. They need someone to speak it. They need to hear it and understand it. And then they need to respond to it. And this is what will bring life. So you have these gifts of of prophecy, people getting up and giving a word from the Lord and speaking. It was wonderful. It was miraculous. God is with us and he's working. And knowledge. As for knowledge, similar thing. Wow, God we, we, we don't know everything, God, and we want to know these deep mysteries that come from you. How are we going to get that knowledge? Well, through the proclamation of God, God speaking to you, God speaking to his people. Keep in context, we are 2,000 years later and we have the completed word of God. These people would not have had it then. It's one of the earliest churches Paul wrote to. And you see also during the time when all the apostles were alive, you read through the book of Acts and you see miracle after miracle. You see crazy things happening. You see the acts of the apostles whose job was to establish the church and spread it. And when the apostles died off, the time of the apostles ended. And now you see us being propelled in a time throughout all of history. We can look back and we see the church has functioned and has followed this word. We are not waiting for some new revelation to come in. This is why it's so important to understand this right. Because there are people today who, and churches today who still believe God is giving new revelation that must be spoke to people. Paul said, if an angel come to you, even if I come to you and I speak to you something contrary to what I first brought to you, let him be accursed. And what do we see happening in history with a lot of these false and fake religions is angels showing up to someone in a private time and telling them a new way that needs to be added to the Bible. Wouldn't that be a miraculous experience? Wouldn't it be very easy to believe that's from God? Because as a as it stands, Satan shows up as an angel of light. He wants you to believe it is God speaking to you. Here's something new. Now take it and add it to God's word. We live in a time where we have the completed word of God. We need nothing else. We are looking for nothing else. And if something else comes, then we say, that does not line up with this. It's accursed. You're not going to fool us or trick us or pull the church of the living God away whose foundation is Jesus Christ, the word of God. But false teachers abound And they appeal to you because of their greed. They're able to get a hold of you because of your sincerity to want to do the right thing and follow God. We must be Bereans who study the word. Otherwise, we will desire greatly, greatly to know God and love God and follow him. But if we are not equipped 
and growing and discerning, having our powers and our abilities of discernment practice and grown, as Ephesians 5 says, we'll be, continue to be babies. And like Paul said in Ephesians, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, we're talking about some of these Pentecostal, charismatic, cessationists, all of these things that the church has debated. I'm filled with so much confusion. That may be because you are still needing to grow. And the answer for you is to be a Berean. Search the scriptures daily. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You're gonna learn in 1 Corinthians 14, God is not the author of confusion. And where there's confusion and, and instability and disorder, it's not God. Love never ends, but these gifts that had become a problem, the gifts weren't the problem, it was how they were using them and making it about them that had become a problem. So now he's helping them understand the priority of these gifts. Love never ends. Hey, guess what? Even prophecy that I've told you is the higher gift, even knowledge, those two things that church desperately needs, the word of God and the knowledge of God, even those things will pass away. Jasper, what about tongues? We're gonna come back to tongues. When will these things end is the next question. When will these things end? Look what he says here. Verse 10. But when the perfect comes, quotation mark, parentheses, highlight, bold, that word perfect. But when the perfect comes, He says two things will pass away. And he uses the word pass away for prophecy and for knowledge. Look what he says here. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. What are the partial things? I want you to look at the screen. I've got some things highlighted here. Notice prophecy uses this word pass away in the passive form, meaning something's gonna cause it to pass away. Tongues will come back to that. Knowledge is going to pass away as well. Same word, same passive grammar. Something's going to make it pass away. Then he says, for we know knowledge in part. We don't have all knowledge. It's partial. And he says, we prophesy in part. The, even the speaking, even your pastor speaking, even the word we have is just what God wants us to have. It's still partial. So knowledge and prophecy, partial. And look what he says. But when the perfect comes... What passes away? You say it. The partial. And what are the two partial things? Prophecy and knowledge. Well, when will these things end? Well, it's based off this perfect thing coming. Then you know that prophecy and knowledge will be fully realized. It'll pass away. The idea is that it's going to fade out and no longer be needed. It's going to be like the VHS. Next question. Okay, if the perfect causes these very important higher gifts that we should be desiring, when is this perfect coming and what is this perfect thing? What is this perfect thing that's coming? And he answers it by this analogy he's going to give. 
Verse 10, he says, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Verse 11, and then he says this to help them understand it. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now, is he saying that the the gifts that we use today are childish in the negative sense? No, he's using a metaphor to help us understand maturity, that when you grow up and you become the man or the woman that you're supposed to be, there are things that you used to do and need when you're a kid you no longer need. And so he's already setting up this picture that eventually you're going to no longer need, just like children grow up and they, they become the thing that the thing that they're focused on as a kid has helped them become, therefore no longer need for it. Then he says this, which helps us understand what and when this perfect thing is. Verse 12, for now, for now we see in a mirror dimly. See how he describes what it's like being on planet earth? Imagine looking into a mirror and it's got fog all over it. You know, you get out of the shower in the morning and you're like, what? You're trying to wipe it off like because you can't see. That's the experience of living now. I don't have full knowledge and prophecy of who Jesus is and who even I am. And he says this, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, then, there's the key word, then face to face, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. When I became a man, but then face to face, then, so the perfect, based off of this, if I were to ask you then understanding this verse, what would you say the perfect thing is? Face to face, when does face to face happen? Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? Face to face in all his glory. Sing it with me. Jesus Christ who died for me. One day we're going to see Jesus, but that day's not yet. It's going to be wonderful. And guess what? When you see him face to face, You're going to no longer need knowledge and prophecy because it's going to be complete. You're going to know him as you're fully known. You're going to know him like he knows you now. So what does that mean about prophecy and knowledge now? We need it now, correct? We need it. It's helping us. You're experiencing prophecy now as you have someone standing and speaking God's word to you. Prophecy at work. Face to face with Jesus, the glorified and eternal state is what we're anticipating. Now, what about tongues? He keeps mentioning tongues. What about that? Go back to it. 1 Corinthians 13. There's so much to say here. Oh, I'm going to start my Bible. So much to say here, but I'm trying to be as succinct as I can. He throws tongues right there in the middle. And he says, as for tongues, they will cease. As for tongues, it will cease. Completely different word. It's not partial and it has nothing to do with the perfect coming. The grammar even shows that. 
as prophecy and knowledge are passive, meaning something has to act upon it. The word cease here means to come in on its own in the middle voice, if you love grammar. English doesn't have a middle voice, but as we know middle voice, it's neither active nor passive. It's happening on its own. Well, maybe you're thinking, what are tongues? We're going to get an opportunity to, to dive even more into what they are, what they aren't, as 14 comes in, but let me give you a little quick overview. The Old Testament, when it talks about this idea of tongues in the future, the Tower of Babel happened, what did God do? He divided up all the languages and he spread man out into the world so they could not work together on their own. It was an act of mercy because man together without Jesus will only get more and more evil. God's act of mercy of dividing man up so it's harder for them to work together. And then God decides when it's time to bring people back together. When did God bring back people together and even bridge the gap between the languages? When was that? Ooh, I, I think I heard it. Who said it? Acts chapter 2. What happened that day? Pentecost. Pentecost. All of these different nations, every nation had gathered together in Jerusalem. Peter gets up and he prophesies about the, the prophecy of Joel. And he says, this day is among you. And 3,000 something souls are saved. But something crazy happened as the apostles were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Wait on me, he says. He preaches a message and then these cloven tongues of fire fall on the people. And they all begin to speak in tongues. By the way, tongues is mystical because that's an English word we use. It wouldn't be as mystical if we used the right word, language. They spoke in languages. But what languages did they speak in? They all could hear the other person speaking their language a miracle. Like, how does that make sense? How can your ear hear all these different people from different nation, tribes, and tongues at a time when there's no Google? You know that there's no way to just like figure out no language. You can't hold your phone up. You know, foreigner, barbarian, we do not understand each other. You hear the gospel message. Everyone is speaking and everyone can hear their own language coming out of everyone. That's a miracle. An absolute miracle. And the Old Testament said that there would be a time when people of foreign and strange tongues would come to do something specific. A very specific sign that God is now taking salvation to the rest of the world. And it was definitely a sign to the unbelieving Jews, Israel's God saying, I've come for you. This is the sign that this is my Messiah. This is a sign that you need to get on the ark, the true ark, Jesus, and listen to him. And even the Gentiles are manifesting the thing that you've been waiting for. It should make you think about that scripture from the Old Testament and know that he's trying to tell you and make you jealous to get on board. But the Jews harden their heart. As Paul tells us that the devil has blinded their eyes. And so you see through the book of Acts all the way up to chapter 19 and then tongues are never mentioned again. This thing happening where a Gentile would speak in the language that the people knew, but they knew they didn't know that language. And it was a confirmation that yes, God had brought salvation to the rest of the world outside of the Jews. He's departing from Israel and now the church is growing and everyone can be included. Now even Israel must accept Jesus. A very interesting time. But the implication here in verse chapter 13 is you are making church, Corinthian church, you are making the least of these gifts the most important. 
the gift that will itself cease and no longer be needed. So here's the question. When do these gifts cease? We're told that they will cease apart from the perfect. They're going to end even sooner than prophecy and knowledge. When? Well, we actually don't know. We don't know when, but we can make a pretty good assessment or guess. Can't be dogmatic, but it seems like when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, and it seems like when the time of the apostles had done and the church had started spreading around the earth, the prominence of this miraculous gift that could just be used to speak a language that the person didn't know know, had ceased. The idea of the word cease is like a battery life. It ends on its own, comes to an end. Now you're probably thinking, wait, it's a little bit different than when I think of the word tongues and it makes me associate with the way that I see it operating in the church, the modern church today. I hear the word tongues used and there's a lot of mystical confusion behind it. We're gonna get to speak more about that. A lot of confusion, but what I would surmise to you is what you see today is not what's being talked about here. Tongues will cease. Now hear me out. Why then does he dedicate a whole next chapter to the gift of tongues to try to de-elevate it, not, not say that it's bad, but put it in its proper place before, below all the other gifts? Because he's wanting them to pursue the gifts and put their attention on and make a big deal. If they're gonna make a big deal about anything, make a big deal about the gifts that actually benefit others prophecy. So he's going to compare prophecy and tongues in 14 and further validate, hey, this gift is coming to an end and it needs to stop getting so much importance. Let me tell you something else. The book of Corinthians is the only book that talks about the gift of tongues and it's one of the earliest books mentioned. After that, you never see it brought up again. Hebrews is one of the latest books written in the, in the work of the early church. And when you come to the book of Hebrews, you see they even look back at a time of miracles as if it happened in the past. God is a God who works in the way he wants to when he wants to. And it seems today, we read things like the book of 1 Corinthians during the time of the Acts when the apostles were still there. And like, man, it seems so different. It's not a bad thing. I read the book of Judges and it seems so different, thankfully. Go read Judges and you'll be glad it's not the same. God's heart for his people is that they would get to a point where they trust him on pure, pure faith. That you wouldn't need a miracle. You wouldn't need miraculous. You wouldn't need physical experiences to believe him, to trust him, and know he's working in your life. Think of Thomas. I refuse to believe unless I see for myself. And Jesus says, Thomas, come here, put your hands on my side. My Lord and my God. And Jesus says to Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who believe and do not see. Jesus said, the evil and wicked generation seeks a sign. Give us something. Show us, show us that you're Jesus. The Jews come. Show us that you're, do something to make me believe. God has brought us to a place 2,000 years later where the, the pure, unaffected gospel is at work, where now the beautiful feet of God's church are to take his word and go out into the world and speak the gospel. God is in control of miracles 
and healings and all of that. He's still the God of all of that, can do that when he wants to, how he wants to. But when we read the book of Corinthians, we see these very specific gifts that seen that certain people had that they could use at a moment. It was a different day. We'll talk more about this as time goes on and get to explain it even more. Here's the other thing we want you to do. We want you to come to us and talk to us, have your questions, bring them to us. If anything's unclear and you're like, well, that's not what I was taught. It's not what I grew up with. We need to fight against that type of division and come and let's sit down as Brians and do iron sharpening iron. Let's look at the word and be the type of people who refuse to make the word say what I want it to say and seek what the word is actually saying. Trying our best not to be dogmatic where the scripture is not dogmatic. And hey, you know what? I could be wrong. Let's be Bereans. But now I need to bring this back to the point of this passage because I know I've just talked about controversial things and if we're not careful, we then end up putting our attention on tongues, which is the whole purpose of Paul is to stop putting all your attention on tongues. So why is all of this necessary to know? He says this in verse 13. So now faith, hope, love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The whole point Paul's been trying to make is that love's greater than everything else. If you're gonna pursue anything, pursue love and let God work out in you what he wants to use you for for the church. You don't have to force anything. Make it about love. And the moment it becomes about gifts is the moment we mess things up. Why should we know all of these things? I want you to see this kind of concluding application point. If we don't understand God's things, his way will end up doing our thing, our way. Love will disappear. Let me show you some scripture about love. We already know verse 13. Above all, Colossians 3, 14, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Look at this next verse. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Next verse, that's in Peter. A new commandment, Jesus says, I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then first John, same John, but later in his life, he says this, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We love because he first loved us. Love never ends. Love never fails. Love will never let you go no matter the depths of darkness you fall into or are willing to jump into. The love of God will continue to be the banner over you. Every thought that drives another agonizing nail into the flesh of God's precious son, every word spoken that lashes the back of Jesus' flesh, every single repeated act of selfishness filling the tank of your temporary floating pleasures are filled with the spilt life-throwing blood of the innocent God made human on your behalf, dying with his arms around you, refusing to let you go, whispering constantly on your behalf, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. His love will still be there. Yes, indeed, wrath building 
being stored up on your account, ready like an avalanche to crush you with the all-consuming weight of your proper wages of sin. The Father relents and holds back the silos of righteous justice, giving precious time for every undeserving sinner to repent, not counting their sins against them, forbearing with kindness so they'll see how much he loves before it's too late. All the while waiting and knocking for repentance to reign on the dry land of your heart, no matter how, how many times you give up, no matter how many times you give in to the same sin that easily besets you, love will be there. No matter how many times you reject him and his gospel for you to chase the philosophies of the world, love will still be there, patient and kind, not envious, not boastful, not irritable, not resentful, and no way rejoicing in the wrong do, wrongdoing that you're doing, but always, 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 never giving up on you, bearing with you in all things, believing the best for you in all things, hoping God's change in your heart through all things, and enduring every spear thrust into the side of Jesus, piercing through his flesh, between his ribs and into his heart, bursting forth with never-ending waters of love. His love still here, never failing, and will never end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us to when we make even the good things, the things that are in your word, and we find a way in our humanness and our brokenness to make it about us. We find a way to use the things that you mean for others, for ourselves, and we find a way to, in sincerity of wanting to be spiritual, to end up being unspiritual and following our flesh, deceived the whole time by the enemy who's just trying to make a mess of things among us. And then you show up all the time to soften our hearts, to bring us back to a place where we're, we're reminded of how much you love us and what you've done for us. And then that, it permeates our heart and soul. And then what comes out of us is, is the same softness and love and care and compassion for the people around us that we disagree with, that we think aren't, as, aren't where we should be or doing what we think they shouldn't be doing or believing what, what, what they should be believing. And then God, we, we do all this under a name and a cause and we say it's your cause and then you, you hit us gently with do not bear my name in vain. God, we're going under our banner of me and not the banner of love, all the while saying, it's you that's motivating us. No, God, if it's not love, it's not you. So Father, forgive us, be patient with us once again, kind with us once again, and continue to grow us as Summit Church into a church that's trying to maintain, attain, attain unity into Jesus Christ for the benefit of growing so that the world lost in darkness will be saved. Use us, God. Use us, we pray. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your great love. And all of this because of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen.